Bulletproof Radio, a state of high performance. You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. Today's cool fact of the day is that there's an interesting way to cook rice to dramatically cut the amount of calories and carbohydrates in it. A guy named Sudhir James, an undergrad student at the College of Chemical Sciences in Sri Lanka, and his mentor discovered that you could cut the number of calories by 50% by cooking rice this way. What you do is you take rice the way you'd normally cook it, but you add coconut oil about 3% of the weight of the rice before you boil the rice. Then you refrigerate it for 12 hours afterwards. What this does is this makes a resistant starch that feeds your gut bacteria better and doesn't raise your blood sugar levels. What I do is I do that with brain octane uh, because I don't like coconut flavor in my rice and uh, I find I get a similar effect from it. And even if you don't cool the rice right away, you're probably still getting some benefit. But the idea of eating cooked and cooled rice is actually a great way to make branched chain carbs that feed gut bacteria but that don't feed you. When your gut bacteria eat these branched chain uh, prebiotic types of fiber, they actually make short chain fatty acids, which really does put your body into fat burning mode, which is kind of cool. Things like butyric acid that you read about in Headstrong and in the Bulletproof Diet. Everyone's talking about red light therapy beds and for good reason. There's a company called ARRC LED that's building an entirely new class of LED devices. ARRC LED beds integrate proprietary scanning technology and frequency protocols to shape the delivery of six different wavelengths in dose-optimized photobiomodulation. Yes, that's a lot of words. What it is, though, is that photobiomodulation improves the underlying energetics of the cells in your body. And those changes can benefit nearly every tissue and organ and system in your body. You change your cells and you change your life. For more information, visit ARRCLED.com. What if there was a way to feel younger for longer? Well, there is. Your body needs something called the NAD plus molecule to help you age well. When you're young, your body makes a lot of NAD plus, and that helps you make energy. It helps you keep your DNA healthy, absorb nutrients well, and it protects your cells from stress. But once you hit about 30, your NAD plus levels start to drop. The good news is that longevity scientists have found some things that can help, like niacin, niacinamide, and niagen. They help your body make more NAD plus even as you age. All three of these are in an amazing formula called Qualia NAD+. Check out Qualia NAD+, risk-free, for up to 100 days at neurohacker.com slash Dave15 to save an extra 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash Dave15, Qualia NAD+. It's what I use. And as we're getting into the show, I'm going to interview someone who has been a guest on the show before, and as a result of that is featured in the book, Game Changers, which you must buy now if you haven't bought it yet. And the reason for that is that if you enjoy the show, I've gone through and analyzed almost 500 of these conversations with a statistician to find out what do people who change the game, not just for themselves, but for the world around them, what do they actually do? And the guy's coming back on the show for his third time, actually, is a very well-known cardiologist uh, who goes by the name of Dr. William Davis. And you know about him because you've probably read or at least heard about his famous book, Wheat Belly. Dr. Davis, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me back, Dave. I included you in Game Changers 
because you were one of the very first guys as a board certified cardiologist to come out there and just go and fly in the face of traditional wisdom and say, actually, this gluten thing matters. It matters greatly. And as a result of that, you you took a lot of hits. <laughs> you know, people say that that can't be so. It's it's not possible. And you get all the grumblings from the the National Grain Marketing Association and, and people like that. Uh, some sometimes they go under the guise of a school of medicine or regulatory agency. But um, <laughs> that like that, that, that that's my perception of reality. Maybe I'm wrong. Uh, and I wanted to to pick your brain. Uh, we could talk about you know, the latest things you're doing on fixing healthcare, which was the second reason you came on was to talk about you know how to manage your own healthcare. Uh, and we'll get into that in a little bit, but, but I, I want to know how you dealt with the first wave of criticism when you came out with, with Wheat Belly. You know, Dave, it was easy because you know, I went through a long period of skepticism. I Seeing what happened to people when you removed grains and took some additional handful of steps to restore health, I, it was astounding. And I, I couldn't believe it. So I... I thought about this for a long time, did a lot of thinking, talked to some agricultural scientists trying to understand what the hell was going on, that when you take the food that was blessed by all official authorities, you see, you witness dramatic turnarounds in health, weight, need for prescription medication, et cetera. So I kept on expecting to be, to find out, I, I'd say, oh, it was my mistake. But as I dug deeper, it became clearer and clearer that conventional dietary advice was not just ineffective, it was catastrophically and tragically wrong. <laughs> and so I knew I was right. I mean, when you see people get off 11 medications, when you see people get rid of 20 years of rheumatoid arthritis, when you see people get rid of ulcerative colitis and Crohn's disease and diabetics on 10 years of insulin and other injections, and it's a, become non-diabetic, you, you prove over and over and over that there is something really powerful about this lifestyle. And so I, I, the criticism is there. You, you know what I would do though? Once in a while it would piss me off. <laughs> and I would, I would go on the Amazon page for 50 shades of gray. Yeah. <laughs> I, I never read the book nor saw the movie, <laughs> but, but I knew what it was about. And here this woman, of course, had a huge success, but read the criticism. This horrible book must have been written by a horny 14-year-old. <laughs> in other words, she got the most vicious criticism, but you know what? She won. In the end, she won. So I found that very um, uh, comforting that you can you can be right in something, maybe a bad analogy, but you can be right in something, but people who stand to lose money or just credibility or have their careers decimated. If, if, a, if a faculty member at a university built their careers on 30, 40 years of advocating healthy whole grains and some schmuck in Milwaukee says, uh, no, that's all wrong, in fact. I mean, you've you've lost all credibility. You uh, you damaged their careers, and so I I'm, I understand that people have been harmed by this message, but the bigger message here is that many 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 millions of people have hugely benefited from it. Okay, so you you keep your uh, you, you keep your eye on this idea that you've seen sick people who you couldn't cure uh, using the the standard of care, <laughs> the way it used to be, uh, and you've seen enough of them. So that is so much greater than the value of the criticism that just having the mission was was probably the the biggest thing that I teased out of that. Yeah, you know, I'm not selling people fancy programs. I'm just telling them, just try this. 
right. and they get off their medications. They get they're they're freed of chronic pain. And sometimes, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40 years of suffering with joint pain, headaches, depression, suicidal thoughts that are dramatically not to say every disease known to humans uh, reverses just most of them. <laughs> uh, you know, it's been my experience, and one of the reasons that I wake up excited uh, every morning is the same thing. I went through all that stuff uh, and you know, did the work, and something magic happens when you do the stuff uh, that I recommend, the stuff that you recommend. Uh, and I look at all the, the 30 or so years that I was just sickened by bad advice, and it really, I, I feel a moral obligation to tell the truth about it. And if someone says, that it didn't happen because it can happen. I'm like that's anti-science here. You just ignored the evidence because you didn't like it. And and I find that that behavior happens in medical schools. Uh, it happens online. It it happens in corporate boardrooms and and all that. Uh, you've you've dealt with that a lot, and you certainly you deal with patient compliance uh, when you're dealing with the patient, where people they just don't want to see reality. What have you learned about getting people to see reality? You know, you have to, people like to see the successes of, of other people. You and I can talk to we're blue about the science. And some people do want to, I know your guy likes to hear about the science, but most people, you know, oddly, about 87% of my audience is female. It's, it's your good they, looks, right, Bill? <laughs> yeah, it must be that, Dave. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and, they, you know, you can mention the science to reassure them that there's a, a real logic and rationale behind all this and scientific evidence, too, of course. Uh, but most people just want to know if they can fit back into a size four dress, if they can attend their daughter's wedding in a nice form fitting gown. I mean, that's what people really want. Isn't that but, called so, Spanx? And, and then you're done. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so um, and so that's what's driven a lot of this. It's it's not my charisma and good looks, I can assure you. It's the fact that uh, people uh, witness each other's extraordinary successes. And, and these are. Not just weight loss successes, as you know, it's also changes in appearance. It's uh, complete dramatic turnarounds in health. And that's the part I find the most exciting. I can't show people that ulcerative colitis is now gone and they're off three medications, including a very costly biological uh, F, uh, drug. Mm -hmm. But I can show them the change in facial appearance. I can show them the reversal of cellulite in legs. I can show them that someone's waist has been reduced by uh, a foot. <laughs> a foot in circumference so we can show that sort of thing but we can't really show them that this person doesn't need insulin and uh, three oral drugs for diabetes and hypertension anymore but uh the the successes are what drive the 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 this message it is the successes that that motivate me and i'm i'm asking on behalf of uh, of listeners here who may not be in a in a position as a a cardiologist who has your years of practice and all the experience and your 4 million books sold and all. Um, so all of them are working on stuff and they're all dealing with this. You know, I'm, I'm trying to do something good here and I've got all these, uh, you know, naysayers and people say it's not possible. Or, you know, my, my mom is telling me that I have to eat gluten because I'll starve otherwise. And, and is, is there some mindset that's more personal than the mission driven one that that's motivating you and me? Uh, if something you've heard from a patient, or some sort of a mindset uh, trick uh, that that really helps people just rise above all the stuff that's holding them down when they're looking to reset their health? You know, I, I think 
for me, it's also a mission of trying to set things right. When you see somebody, you know, if you see some, if you see a man beating his wife, you want to step in and try to do something about it. Maybe yeah. you don't, maybe achieve it, maybe you don't, but you want at least have the impulse to try. If you see somebody caught in a burning car, you have the impulse, I should run over and pull that person out of the car. And that's what I see happening here. So like your experience, Dave, uh, 30 years of struggling with health, it wasn't because you were broke and didn't have access to health care. You were struggling despite the bungling of health care. Uh-huh. And that's what I see happening, that people say, I've been to eight doctors. None of them know what, what's but they're happy to dispense prescriptions for Lipitor, Tugeo, uh, Enbrel, Humira. And I now spend uh, $1,800 a month. And that's what's happening in the U.S., as you know. The prices are escalating faster than ever. So a drug like Humira, which is commonly prescribed as an anti-inflammatory, is now priced at $4,800 per month. Wow. The drugs for hepatitis C, like Harvoni, start at $84,000 per vial, 120 tablets. This is what's happening. The prices are going faster and faster. And the doctors are the willing accomplices in this massive predatory exploitative industry called healthcare and big pharma and the medical device industry. And the, the truth of it is we could cut healthcare down to a tiny fraction of what it now does if people just got the message of health. You, so for the most part, people don't need their doctors to, to muck up their health. In fact, the kind of health you and I achieve uh, by our programs is not just on a par with what you get from the medical system or almost as good as it is dramatically superior. The health we achieve is superior to the impaired health, the propped up artificial health you get from the doctor's office in the healthcare system. Taking Lipitor for cholesterol and a thiazide diuretic for blood pressure and anti-inflammatory drug for joint pain. And, a, <laughs> and a, that's not real health. That's the 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 appearance of health as perceived by a predatory profit-seeking exploitative thing called healthcare. Uh, I can see why you wrote undoctored uh, the, the subject <laughs> of our second interview because you're passionate about this too and I look at the three knee surgeries I had. In fact, I was diagnosed with arthritis when I was 14. And no one asked why. Like, oh, it just happens. You're like, what, what do you mean it just happens? And so I, I carried a lot of bitterness and anger about that uh, until I, I did all my neurofeedback. And, and, and rightly so, Dave. Yeah. We should be angry at the healthcare system. Well, I agree. I, yeah. At, at this point, the anger just kind of makes it stronger. And I, I'm to the point where I, I'm dismissive of it <laughs> and very happy to break it. Uh, in fact, I get great joy from that, uh, but I, I, I'm not doing it from a place of anger. It's more a place of amusement because I, I know it must happen. Uh, and you might as well, you know, enjoy putting uh, putting a stick in the spokes <laughs> of, a, <laughs> of, of a big system that is crumbling under its own weight. And uh, the way you do that is just simply knowledge. And when someone you know, reads uh, Wheat Belly, how someone cuts junk out of their diet and they look different. And then their friend says, what did you do? Like you can't stop that, uh, and social media made it a lot easier to do that. So uh, I uh, I I look at the you know, twenty year outlook for the companies selling this kind of junk. It is not good, uh, and I'm I'm here to I'm, I'm here to make some stuff that's worth eating, uh, because I need to feed my kids and I want to feed myself, and and so we're we're there. But you you talk about how you become smarter than your doctor in your book, and this is actually why you're also in law. 
um, 33 in Game Changers. And this is a law that says um, that you want to track what you're going to hack. And I talk about how I've changed my life. A lot of the bulletproof techniques around almost every blog you'll see about how to hack your sleep, they're just carbon copies of copies of copies of the original how to hack your sleep um, blogs uh, that I wrote in the early days of, of the Bulletproof blog. And this came about from looking at EEG data every morning. It's like, oh, there's a study. Let me just test this and see, like, oh, this works. Um, so sleep mattered. But I want to get your opinion uh, as a cardiologist on if people wanted to hack their health, the way you talk about, what are the big lab tests, uh, you know, things they can do at home, but but specific data gathering things that we should all be looking for uh, in order to get uh, the best possible perspective on what we're doing and also just to be cost effective about it. You know, I, I spend, I don't know how many zeros, but because I'm a professional pick, I probably spend, I don't know, tens of thousands of dollars on lab tests all the time because I'm trying new lab tests because I want to see whether this worked and I'm trying to live to 180. So um, <laughs> I'm not normal, but I want your doctor's advice what matters most? You need this data set. You know, I'm guessing it's not um, it's not LDL cholesterol, uh, <laughs> even though you're a cardiologist. So, so give give me your list of like most important stuff to track, so that people listening can have the most control over the amount of energy they have and how they feel. You know, I I'll bet most of your audience already recognizes Dave that the whole cholesterol statin thing is a crock. It's a bunch of crap. <laughs> that is, it's very profitable. It came from misinterpretation and misrepresentation. Just like the cut your fat, cut your cholesterol <sighs> uh, conversation and diet is proven to be completely nonsense. There never was science that supported that. It was misinterpretations of science. Uh, but the real tragedy of the statin and cut your fat conversation is that the real causes of heart disease aren't talked about. Yep. And that's why there's more than ever angioplasties, heart attacks, bypass operations. And you know what? It's very profitable to be stupid. That it is very profitable for my colleagues to turn a blind eye to the real causes of heart disease. That's why hospitals can afford to add on $80 million new wings. And that's why my colleagues make seven-figure incomes by doing procedures because it's very profitable to be ignorant and continue the status quo, which is a procedure for every problem, a drug for every problem. But if, if you really want to, so a lot of the things I do actually got their start because I was trying to regress heart disease. I was right. scanning people with heart, CT heart scans and seeing people freak out on me because uh, heart disease progresses at the rate of 25% per year. It's horrendous. If you put somebody on a low fat diet and high dose statin drug, heart disease progresses at 25% per year. There's no impact at all. So, so Dean Ornish and you are great friends, right? <laughs> well, that's a whole conversation of its own, how he misinterpreted his data. <laughs> <laughs> and he never did put a stop to heart disease at all. That's ridiculous. He, he used the wrong measure. Uh, his patients can, in, in, in the lifestyle heart trial had an enormous amount of cardiac events. So this idea that he reversed heart disease is complete nonsense. But anyway, but... Uh, so this whole program that I call Wheat Belly Total Health or Undoctored is really came from efforts to reverse coronary atherosclerosis, the stuff that underlies heart attack, heart disease, need for bypass and stents and all that. So uh, uh, cholesterol testing is nearly useless. It's a lousy marker to begin with. It's imprecise and miserably outdated. It's from 1950s, 1960s technology. But there's much more 
Uh, I, I want to pause for a second here. So you're, you're listening to this. Dr. Davis is a board-certified cardiologist, and he just said all that. Like, like, let that sink in. This is actually how it works. All right, keep going. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so what we do instead are look at the real causes, the most common causes of coronary disease. And you do that by doing something called uh, advanced lipoprotein analysis, uh, like an NMR lipoprotein analysis. And uh, you can ask your doctor to draw it. He'll say, oh, I don't know what that is. Or insurance won't pay for it. Don't let him pull that bullshit on you because insurance does pay for it. And I've been doing it for over 20 years. And it's relatively easy to interpret. But your doctor isn't educated to do this because a sexy sales rep in his waiting room in a miniskirt doesn't teach him about that. He, all she wants to do is hawk her statin drugs and repatha and that kind of stuff. So an NMR lipoprotein panel with the lipoprotein A, you have to specify that. And then the axis of testing that gives you basic insight into your insulin sensitivity or resistance, the, the situation that can lead to the diabetes, type 2 diabetes and, and prediabetes, and that involves simple fasting glucose, fasting insulin, and a hemoglobin A1C, the long-term measure of blood sugar. Vitamin D is such a huge player, Dave, in reversing cardiovascular risk, huge. It was the first time I saw uh, heart scan scores reverse drop 900, which is a very high score. Zero is normal. 900, for instance, dropping to 450 or something. Dramatic regression. That only happened when I added vitamin D to achieve a 25 hydroxy vitamin D blood level of 60 to 70 nanograms per milliliter. Um, uh, there are other things you can get, but that's kind of the bait. Oh, and thyroid panel. Thyroid panel. Very, Thank very you. important. I was going to ask you about that. Advanced thyroid panel? Yes, so full thyroid panel, TSH, free T3, free T4, reverse T3, and thyroid antibodies to give you a full sense of landscape of thyroid dysfunction because so many people, uh, uh, conservatively, 20% of the U.S. population has thyroid disease. More accurately, yeah. probably 35%. It's a ton of people. And I blame, I, blame, uh, I blame industry and the ignorance of my colleagues and toxicologists because we know that BPA – perfluorooctanoic acid from Teflon residues, triclosan and hand sanitizer and antibacterial soaps, and on and on and on, dozens or hundreds of these things in your toiletries, perfumes, colognes, uh, topical things, all sorts of things uh, disrupt your thyroid, including blocking the conversion of T4 thyroid hormone to the active T3 thyroid hormone. And so we have endocrinologists who even bother to occasionally check a thyroid, handing out levothyroxine, which is T4, and people remain hypothyroid despite taking the T4 yep. and say, you know this, I'm cold, I can't lose weight, I'm losing my hair, I'm constipated, I'm depressed. And the endocrinologist says, uh, well, it's not my problem, take an antidepressant. And that all goes away with addressing T3. So yes, the, and, and hypothyroidism is a flagrant coronary risk factor. Thank you for saying that. Okay, you might know the stats off the top of your head. Um, if someone is uh, low on thyroid, what percent does that increase their risk of all cardiac events? Do you have a, a ballpark number? There's a lot of debate about that. It depends on the severity of the of the hypothyroidism. So there's a lot of active debate about okay. how much how how hypothyroid you have to be in order to contribute. I will tell you my experience though. So I I, I, I did this many thousands of people. We have let's say somebody has a heart scan score of 700, which is a very high score. And then we put them through the program, all the things we've talked about, grain elimination, sugar limitation, vitamin D restoration, et cetera. Next score is 480, regression. 
Another two or three years later, score is 380, further regression. Another two or three years, it scores 900. Oh, wow. And so we look, what's wrong? We find it, hypothyroidism. So that can rear its head, and it will act as a flagrant cause for cardiovascular events. But there, there is no question that hypothyroidism does cause heart disease, actually in many forms, not just heart attacks. It can also cause heart failure and uh, other forms of heart disease. So thyroid is very important. And unfortunately, it's a, it's a byproduct. Hypothyroidism is a byproduct of industrial compounds, this, this, this sea we're swimming in of industrial compounds. Is there a case for people over 50 or something to maybe just prophylactically take a grain, or sorry, not a grain, uh, an eighth of a grain or a quarter grain of thyroid as an anti-aging hormone so they can feel really good when they're old? You know, I think that's not that unreasonable. That that was actually a very popular notion yeah. <laughs> several decades ago. I, th I think it was right. <laughs> <laughs> I think there may be, what I don't know is if if you and I had grown up in the wild mm. and weren't exposed to all those things, well, that really would be of benefit. But of course, none of us have done that. We're not the Hadza. We don't dig in the dirt and spear animals. So I wonder if this is simply kind of a spinoff of, uh, of modern life. But a very tiny, I, I think that would be rational. The endocrinologist would throw a fit because they have this peculiar attitude that you have to be on death's doorstep before you deserve thyroid replacement. It's a very odd ad attitude. I, I actually, uh, I, I'm sure there's some endocrinologists who are highly enlightened who are listening to the show right now. And I there might be one or two. <laughs> I, I apologize in advance for this comment, but uh, every time in my own health history and as I was learning how stuff really works, anytime someone says, oh, I've got a, a problem with my hormones or whatever, I'm gonna go see an endocrinologist, they've never once had anything beneficial happen unless they had an active cancer that was producing it, in which case. But other than that, they would just get the opposite of useful advice. So why do most uh, uh, mainstream endocrinologists hate human beings, uh, Dr. Davis? Dave, <laughs> you, your, your experience is precisely reflects mine. I've, I've heard of one or two endocrinologists who are actually open-minded, functional, integrative, and thinkers. But I'd say easily 99%. I don't know why. I don't know what's the nature of their personalities or training that make them so incredibly dense and ignorant. I, I don't know why. So I actually discourage people from seeing endocrinologists because, as you point out, they come away with their, their brow beaten, they're insulted, and yeah, given yeah. Uh, astounding misinformation. Uh, that has unfortunately been my experience, which is smaller than yours. And, and so if you go to someone who studies functional medicine or – uh, anti-aging medicine, you typically find someone who looks at bioidentical hormones as tools to be optimized as a, as a operating system versus sort of this like brute force club approach. So, so it, it's, it's interesting. I'm happy we got to talk about thyroid and aging because, uh, I know this is an ancient anti-aging thing, but the more, the more I hear from people saying, I'm just, I don't quite have the energy I had. They take a tiny dose of thyroid, even without a test at that low dose, it's not going to cause a problem. And if it's too much, they'll be sweaty and they won't like it and they'll stop. Um, the, so the, these, these main things you talked about aren't expensive, except the heart scan test NMR, the advanced lipoprotein analysis that runs what about 1500 bucks out of pocket? No, it's something like 80 or $90. Oh, so it's, it's, it's that more cheap. than, a, okay. yeah, it's, it's more than a cholesterol test, which is, it can vary, but it can be like $15, but it's really not that bad. But the insight you gain from it is priceless, but the, the insight you gain uh, with proper interpretation 
virtually always points to dietary solutions. So you can imagine why Merck and Pfizer and AstraZeneca don't advocate this much more confident testing called lipoprotein testing because it, it, it makes it immediately obvious that the solution is not a drug. It's a shift in diet. And by the way, the kinds of results you obtain in the true test, lipoprotein testing with nutritional uh, methods is dramatically superior than the kinds of results you obtain using drugs. And thereby you obtain far better reduction of cardiovascular risk using nutritional methods. But the, the problem is, of course, the cardiologist, the primary care doctor, government agencies say you should cut your fat and cholesterol, your saturated fat, eat more healthy whole grains, which if you watch this from a lipoprotein standpoint, you will see dramatic deterioration in your and the patterns that lead to heart disease, diabetes, obesity, et cetera. In other words, government advice and conventional dietary advice actually cause heart disease and dementia and cancer and hypertension yeah. and diabetes. Uh, that is uh, that is the way I see the world as well. Uh, I noticed that you didn't have anything in there around LPPLA2. Can you explain what that is? And then I want to I, I tell listeners why I'm interested in that, but can you document that as a cardiologist, what your take on it is? I'm not sure what to make of it because so much of the data surrounding phospholipase A2 is, has been generated by the drug industry. And we know that the drug industry kind of paves its own path for profit. Ah. So I was, I was trying to understand these data. That is, you know, I'm, I'm always hesitant when the, when the purported solution is always a drug. Yeah. Uh, so in other words, it's like LDL cholesterol is perfectly crafted for drug treatment, even though the real treatment has nothing to do with the drug. Like, likewise here, every study agreed that people who have higher levels of this inflammatory mediator called phospholipase A2 have increased cardiovascular risk, and that risk is reduced by statin drugs. Well, that doesn't make any sense to me. So I actually called the world's leading researcher, uh, and I asked him, can you explain something to me? Uh, why aren't we looking at such things as some kind of natural manipulation of phospholipid metabolism or some other natural means to impair the excess cardiovascular risk from this, rather than just, as you say, brute force, knock it down with a hammer effect of statin drugs? And he had no idea what I was, he thought I was from Mars. He was very gracious, <laughs> very nice. But in other words, he's, he's the carpenter with a hammer. Everything looks like a nail. And so I don't to this day really know what the full answer is, but I will tell you with the collection of things we do, that is elimination of grains, net carb reduction, fish oil, vitamin D, et cetera, cultivation of bowel flora, we see phospholipase A2 go down in most people. I don't know which of those components is responsible for it, Dave, and I don't know if it's an inadvertent shift in phospholipid metabolism or phospholipid intake or something like that, but I, I don't have a full answer for you. But I, I, I am convinced the solution is not more statin drug. I am 100% with you on, on the statins because they damage mitochondrial function. Uh, the reason I'm interested in this is it's an enzyme that goes up if there's damage to the lining of your arteries, essentially. So when people hear, oh, my cholesterol is 210, my doctor wants to put me on, on statins. Oh, and my HDL is 87. By the way, HDL is protective, like the good <laughs> cholesterol. If, if your cholesterol is 210 and your HDL is 87, 
you're probably going to live longer than the average person, um, but they'll still, they freak out. You say, well, okay, if you believe this cholesterol myth, then your LPPLA2 should be up. And what do you know? When you go for that more expensive test, you don't see the damage that would be present if there was uh, something going on in your arteries. Therefore, the cholesterol is not causing the damage. So it allows people to close the loop. But the other two that I thought you might say would be C-reactive protein and homocysteine. These markers of inflammation that seem to be uh, behind almost every one of the chronic diseases, uh, including cardiovascular events. Do you add those to your list later on or are they just more expensive? Sort of why didn't they hit your top five or six? With C-reactive protein, you know that this was trumped up by industry uh, to become another statin drug. So the Jupiter trial, for instance, that looked at uh, high-dose Crestor um, in people who had uh, low cholesterol but high C-reactive protein as a presumptive increased marker for cardiovascular risk, and there was an apparent reduction in cardiovascular events on Crestor. Well, first of all, the study was paid for by the manufacturer, and the test yielded revenues for the guy who patented the C-reactive protein test. In other words, there's layers of, of, um, of uh, predatory type of uh, revenue generation. Um, Two, the results, even if we believe them, were wildly exaggerated. There was there's a very minimal reduction in real cardiovascular events, but via statistical manipulation, they exaggerated them. And I'll tell you what my experience was. And that is, if someone starts with a high-ish C-reactive protein, say, of three milligrams per deciliter, or four, or 2.5, which is presumptively increased cardiovascular risk, it goes to zero, almost always, with no grains, no sugars, fish oil, <laughs> vitamin D. In other words, it's, saying, I, it's like a broken record, I know, but it drops to zero virtually it, every single time. Exactly. It's not that hard, and it's controllable, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, at, I, I look at those for people, if they're not losing weight, if, if they don't see the benefits uh, when they, they go bulletproof or even just eliminate grains, even if they don't up their fats the way uh, that I, I would recommend it, um, then it's, okay, you've got some inflammation, and if so, you look for latent infections, and it'll show up in these numbers, but... Uh, if, if things are working, they probably don't need to. And what I like about your list here, fasting glucose, um, that is uh, very simple to get. You can actually buy your own glucose meter to get that. Mm-hmm. I, I started doing that. She's my first glucose meter, 1996. The doctor told me maybe I should try to lose weight. Uh, and, and he said, maybe your blood sugar's high. And so I got this. So I went to the drugstore and it was 150 bucks, not 10 bucks back then. And I just pricked my fingers all the time. And I said, I don't know. My blood sugar doesn't seem that high. You know, th- this is my graph. And he just looked at me like I was an alien. And now I, I've actually worn an implantable glucose meter on Dr. Oz. And he's like, Dave, what is that thing on your arm? And I'm like, I don't want to pull it out because it go- stays on there for two weeks. And he said, it looks weird on camera because it wasn't an interview about implantable glucose monitors. It was just, you know, it was just like a, my robot arm for the day. But this is a $10 test, and you can do it as many times as you want by sticking your finger, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, insulin. Um, this is also a vanishingly uh, cheap test. You get a, fat, what, 12-hour fasting insulin? What do you want it to be? As close to zero as possible. Uh, certainly not higher than three or four, which is not what conventional advice tells us. Okay. Uh, most, most doctors don't even check a fasting insulin. Uh, but you want so high-ish, so it's very common, for Americans, Canadians to have fasting uh, insulins of 30, 40, 50 units, I and mean, it's sky high because they're resistant to insulin. Their bodies, their muscle, yeah. and their liver are resistant to insulin. So the pancreas over has to overcompensate by producing huge amounts of insulin, which of course is a very effective weight gain drug. 
and amplifies uh, inflammation. So getting your insulin down to near zero uh, means you're not insulin resistant, you're responsive, and it doesn't get in your way of trying to lose weight. It's uh, it's amazing how uh, how people who are in ketosis for long periods of time also get insulin resistant. It's one of the reasons, like, look, if you're in ketosis, great, cycle, go in and out, in and out, be able to metabolize carbohydrates, be able to metabolize fats, and this sort of, the, the keto bro, my, my ketones are higher than yours, it, it feels to me like someone's saying my blood sugar is higher than yours, uh, because you should be metabolizing this for fuel. What's your take on uh, long-term ketosis versus cycling ketosis as a cardiologist? I, I'm I'm thrilled that you brought that up, Dave, because um, so you and I know that ketosis is a physiologic natural process. Mm-hmm. It's it's a protective mechanism for periods of deprivation, starvation, lack of carbohydrate. Uh, but I, I I view it like the stress response. Yeah. Uh, a temporary stress is an adaptive response. Long-term unrelenting stress is very bad, leads to cancer, dementia, and heart disease. Same thing here. Intermittent brief periods, meaning days to weeks of ketosis is natural. And it's a great tool for losing weight, reversing fatty liver, accelerating reversal of type 2 diabetes. But when you follow, you know, we, as you know, we have tons of data in kids, who were put on ketogenic diets for prolonged periods because it suppresses intractable seizures and it works. But what happens to these kids? They stop growing. They have huge increase in cal- in kidney stones, osteoporosis. There's an occasional cardiomyopathy or uh, heart muscle impairment, heart failure, sudden cardiac death. They develop dysbiosis and small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. They get constipated. And the, the risk for diverticular disease and long-term potential for colon cancer increases. In other words, so ketosis is wonderful, natural, and physiologic for the short term and intermittently, but not for long-term use. And I, I worry about that a lot because the ketogenic people go berserk. They think, you know, I'm just bashing their lifestyle. I'm just trying to educate them. And I, I fear about some of these commercial operations where they're trying to introduce long-term ketosis. I, 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 what I fear, Dave, is let's say two years into a ketogenic diet, somebody develops either diverticular disease or colon cancer, and then critics will say, look at that. We told you all those diet fads are stupid. And with a broad stroke, they'll condemn all the non-conventional diets. I I fear that could happen. So that's why I'm trying to tell people, as you are, uh, ketosis is fine. Just don't do it all the time. I I, I like that perspective. Uh, And I I have concerns over like high levels. I like to have a little bit of ketones present all the time. Um, and some days I fast, some days I don't. Uh, some days I'm eating a keto diet, some days I'm not. But the deal is the body can can do it. And I feel like based on my lab data uh, that that is the right approach uh, because it, of the way it handles inflammation and things like that. Uh, and I know that you're very much data-driven, which is why in Game Changers, you know, you're, you're in the rule about track what you hack. And... Uh, I noticed you didn't put ketones on here because most people aren't ever going to be in ketosis in a normal population. Um, if a Bulletproof Radio listener who's tried ketosis or maybe uses brain octane to get ketones introduced into their diet, even if they eat you know, some rice every now and then, um, um, would you put ketosis, you know, having a ketone meter as one of the things that's important or not really? Yeah, I, I think it's useful. Let's say someone is a type 2 diabetic and really wants to become non-diabetic in short order or someone with fatty liver wants to undo that process as fast as possible, or you've got a lot of weight to lose, you want to go as fast. I think it's very reasonable to do finger stick ketones or breath ketones. Yeah. 
Um, I think that's reasonable. Or if you have uh, performance interests and you want to supplement, say, MCTs or beta-hydroxybutyrate ketones uh, to supplement endogenous production, I think that's reasonable to, you know, and try to keep your level above, you know, uh, one millimole or something like that. I think that's very reasonable. Um, I like to keep mine above uh, (laughs) 0.4 because that's what turns off hunger hormones. Uh, Anything beyond that is kind of gravy. Uh, and I, I'm not a fan of the ketone salts uh, for some uh, weird isomer reasons. Um, oh, good point. Good point, Dave. Yeah. I I actually contact the FDA because one of the uh, manufacturers, if you use their preparation twice a day for two weeks, it would be fatal. Uh, there's a yeah, lot of crazy real, stuff. I, I had a, a ketone, lot of crazy stuff. I had a ketone salt formula that wouldn't have had that problem formulated and ready to go like labels created fda stuff all done and i actually pulled the product before i shipped it because i became aware of new research on the mirror image uh, ketones that are not bioidentical and what those do and i said all right uh, i'm in to stick with uh, brain octane for that it was an expensive business decision but it felt like the right move and uh um, so I, I i definitely have concerns there we'll put it that way um so next one on your list so we had the heart scan glucose, fasting levels, insulin, you had uh, another one, which was a marker for uh, basically long-term blood sugar stability. What was that marker? Hemoglobin A1C, which is interesting, Dave, for a variety of of reasons. So it's an index of um, long-term blood sugar fluctuations. So the average in the US and Canada is in the pre-diabetic range now. And my colleagues often tell some, let's say you have a hemoglobin A1C of 5.7%, which is pre-diabetic. 6.5% higher is um, type 2 diabetes, the, the official cutoff. Uh, ideal is 5.0 or less. Most of us following these lifestyles are in the 4 range, 4.3, 4.5, something like that. Uh, but you, people are not often told that if your hemoglobin A1C, say, is 5.7%, most as you know, most doctors, my colleagues say, Dave, you're fine. And what they're really telling you, Dave, you don't need insulin or drugs yet for your blood sugar. Don't waste my time. What they're not saying is that you're safe because we know that the risk of death from heart disease, for instance, at that level is about 250, 300% higher than the average person. In other words, you're walking around with a target on your back that you could easily reverse within weeks, easily. And the doctor pats you on the back and says, it's okay, Dave, you don't need metformin to jail or NPH insulin yet, so just carry on. Continue to cut your fat and eat the foods that raise your hemoglobin A1C higher. This is the status <laughs> quo in conventional healthcare. So I think that's what drives you and me and people like you and me, is that there's so much wrong. When you set profit first, you, you do some really awful things to people. And when you when you when you make health and truth the, the thing you want to achieve, all of a sudden it's like shining a light in a dark room. You start to see all the things in there. It's something that's really changed uh, changed my life. And it's also made me feel like I just have more control. And I did go through this phase where, oh, look, you can get all this data. This was 10 plus years ago. And you realize that uh, you can get way more data than you're ever going to do anything about. And at that point, you're like a, a coin collector or a stamp collector. Like, if it makes you happy to have binders of stamps on the shelf, that's good. But they don't actually do anything, right? So if if you're sort of a, a data fetishist, uh, like some of my quantified self uh, good friends, uh, I, I would encourage you to follow your passion. 
uh, which by the way is also another rule in Game Changers. Uh, but for the rest of us, it, it's like, just give me the numbers I need that aren't going to cost me a lot of money and things that will change if I do what I think is going to work. And you just sort of nailed that in a, in a really clear thing. And the budget, oh, I think that getting a hemoglobin A1C is relatively expensive. I didn't ask you the price on that. That's... Uh- it shouldn't be more than uh, I couldn't quote an exact price, yeah. but it's 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 less than a hundred dollars. Okay, you can even buy your own home device to measure it. Got it. And and a, a vitamin D test is around fifty bucks, and an advanced thyroid panel is still around two hundred bucks. Yeah, yeah. All right. There are labs, you know, as as more direct consumer uh, lab tests and testing services are being offered, we're seeing kind of a ratcheting down of costs. It's there's there's not a whole lot of bargains yet, but. Uh, I'm seeing some improvement there. It makes me so happy. Um, I was, I've always been terribly offended at the idea that I need a permission slip to get data about my own body. Uh, yeah. it, it's unacceptable. And, and if you're listening to this and you're saying, well, you know, biohacking or living to 180, it's, it's a game for uh, rich people. Look, cell phones were for rich people too. They are not for rich people anymore. They're for all of us. Everything we're talking about here by pushing boundaries, it's how it becomes affordable. Uh, so if you find yourself playing that story in your head, just, all right, tell your doctor you want this to your insurance company that you're pissed off they're not paying for it and you don't want to pay your premiums if they don't. And magically, it'll become much more affordable over the next uh, number of years. But even so, we're talking, I'm going to call it 100 bucks for your heart scan. I'm going to, for the, the insulin and glucose, we're going to just call them 25 bucks. We've got 150 bucks, 100 bucks for A1C, we're at 350, 50 for vitamin D, we're at 400. And advanced thyroid is 200 bucks. So we're talking $600 max, and you might be able to get this all in for 400, is going to give you a very substantial picture of are you going to die from a heart attack? And if you don't like the numbers, and if you eat a normal diet, and you're like, oh, I just occasionally have my soda and just occasionally eat you know, meat from industrial animals, and uh, just on weekends is when you eat your loaf of white bread um, on your cheat day, <laughs> um, you won't like your numbers. And uh, then you can do something about it and you can test them again in six months. It is, this is what people spend on lots of other things. In fact, there are people who spend this on, dare I say, coffee uh, over the course of two months. I would encourage you to keep spending that on coffee and more. Uh, just kidding. Uh, you guys realize I am the bulletproof coffee guy, right? Uh, but I, I can tell you that it, it's not end of the world money, but it is real money. It's just the return on investment for this is just, it's so high. Um, that I, I highly recommend this. And I'd also, I'd toss in C-reactive protein and homocysteine because, well, I find that those are helpful. But if you just go with these, I'd be totally happy with that too. All right. Uh, let, let me pick your brain about a couple other things. Uh, you, may, uh, you may know for 20 years I've run an anti-aging nonprofit group and a lot of the biohacking thinking came out of that. Um, tell me your top three things for people who want to live way longer than Mother Nature wants them to, like like the things that matter most, based on your experience, the the wheat and grain elimination is yeah. huge. I'm I'm still yeah. wowed, Dave, to see the, the effects that come from that. Uh, and I, it, as you know, proving longevity is not an easy thing to oh, do. No, uh, it's theoretical, but, by the way. You don't have to have a clinical study for all this. This is what you would do for your dad or for you. You know, because it's so difficult to prove longevity, I've settled for second best, which is trying to be as vigorous and youthful for as long as you can. That is, if you die at 84, but you are a vigorous 84, jumping on a pogo stick, dancing the samba, 
uh, hubnubbing with friends and having fun. That to me is a great success. Absolutely. Though I can't is. argue. Vitamin D, huge. That vitamin D was a world changing, a real game yeah. changer for me. Not, not to say I have all the answers for how to cultivate healthy bowel flora, but I, I, I think bowel flora is huge and it's becoming huger every day. Uh, that, that all the efforts we make in bowel, because I think we're going to see that Parkinson's disease is largely a disease of bowel flora, fibromyalgia, bowel oh, yeah. flora, ulcerative colitis, bowel flora, colon it, cancer, bowel flora. It's all in there. Have you talked with Naveen Jain from Viome? I've been an advisor uh, to the company since they were first founded. And just, I want the data. I want to know what fungus is growing in my gut. I want to know what bacteria. And I've gotten richer data there than I have. Uh, any any takes on, on using that clinically? I know it's still early days. Yeah, it's a little pricey, but I think it's going to be uh, uh, at the front of generating data. So a very common question for in, in my world is, do you have small intestinal bacterial overgrowth? That is have uh, colonic organisms ascended up for, through the 24 feet of small bowel and stomach, which I think, Dave, afflicts one to three to one to four of uh, Americans. I, Canadians. I had it big time. It was such a problem for me for years uh, to the point I, I swallowed an electrical stimulation device from Russia. It was a little pill that would stimu to, to stimulate its peristalsis. This is going back uh, 20 years or something. Yeah, I bought it online before Google. And, and uh, <laughs> Uh, it was uh, it was what a very uncomfortable uh, experience. It was probably the first swallowable medical device of my of my life, uh, and it still didn't fix that problem. But uh, I, I think I had it for much of my like the first half of my life, and it's gone now. Thank thank goodness, right? So so I'm happy you talked about SIBO because if you have that, you're not going to live a long time. Your bowel flora are off. Uh, it, it will be a long time. And I would say for people who can afford it, the best test I know of is the Viome test. Um, and well, I, one of the questions I asked, yeah. uh, one of the questions I asked Helen Messier, yeah, I love their Helen. chief scientist, yeah. yeah, is, you know, because diagnosing SIBO is is not foolproof, a little bit of hassle, a little bit of expense. The test is not perfect. No one wants to go through an endoscopy. So the H2 and methane breath testing is kind of a hassle, mm -hmm. not to mention 150 bucks per pop. So um, I asked her, because they're assessing bacteria, bacteriophages, that is viruses of bacteria. Yeah. Um, as well as parasites and metabolites. I said, when you look at people with SIPO, you know, verified, say, by H2 breath testing, are you seeing any kind of signatures fall out? Imagine they could they say do. something. Yeah. Imagine they could say something like if you have uh, the, the 25th, the, the 95th percentile of this, this and that metabolite and bacteria strains, you have SIBO uh, and it corresponds um, uh, well with uh, H2 test. She said they're working on it. They don't have it. But I'm very hopeful that a testing like Viome, because of its uh, comprehensive nature, will yield those kinds of really, really cool insights. And, you know, no one really knows what uh, healthy bowel flora is supposed to look like. That silly Israeli study that made the news yeah. a few weeks ago, where the whole the whole uh, series of studies, as elegant as they were, was based on whether you can return to your prior bowel flora. Well, you and I know that's ridiculous. Because we all start with some degree of dysbiosis, if not overt SIBO. And so this idea that your whole golden life is to return to your prior <laughs> bowel flora status is, is an absurd concept. It's a flaw in logic. But I agree. And what I love about bowel flora, Dave, is most of the strategies that are going to emerge from insights into bowel flora are going to be nutritional yes. or some and not stinking drugs. 
<laughs> so I'm glad we're, this is a way I think for us to exclude big pharma and their exploitative ways. Uh, I, I think it is, and it's what you put on your plate at, at the beginning of the day. Uh, and so I, I've, I've gained a lot of knowledge about what's going on in my gut uh, from, from the Viome test. Uh, and, and, well, because I'm an advisor and long-term supporter, you guys have probably heard me talk about them before. Naveen's been on a couple times. He's also in Game Changers, but there's a sub code for Bulletproof, which gets you something special on the Viome site, and I don't remember what it is. Uh, but anyway, we're buddies. Uh, and it is a pricey test compared to what we talked about. I would get these this data that you're talking about here, um, you know, you need to know you're fasting insulin and glucose before you worry about what species of bacteria is growing at what level in your gut. But having that was really a big thing for me. You know, I wonder, Dave, if the solution to bowel flora is that somebody goes through the published science on the bowel flora composition of the Hadza yeah. or the Matzas in Peru, that is people who live uh, hunter-gatherer lives mm -hmm don't drink chlorinated water, have never taken antibiotics, don't have antibiotic residues in their food, et cetera. Uh, and their bowel flora, of course, is uh, very different from ours, although these two groups of people living on two different continents who have never talked to each other, never had contact, have very similar bowel flora, thereby presumptively meaning they have Stone Age bowel flora. And of course, they have no diseases of civilization like type 2 diabetes, virtually no cancer, virtually no heart disease, uh, skin rashes are highly uncommon unless associated with a nematode or infestation or injury. So they don't have any of the chronic diseases we had. They have injury and infection, of course, different collection of problems. But should somebody recreate a probiotic that looks like their bowel flora? And would that yeah. be the solution? I keep on hoping there some enterprising entrepreneur like Dave Asprey does that. Well, I, I was going to go down there. I, I tried blending it with uh, with butter and it, it totally didn't work. Just kidding. <laughs> that was a bad joke. But what uh, um, what I'm seeing is fecal matter transplants are probably going to be a part of anti-aging uh, in, in the future. And uh, I have actually yet to do that. I've taken pig whip, whipworm eggs and rat tapeworm larvae uh, to modulate the immune response in my gut. And I've got my, my gut immune responses way down. Like, like I, I'm 9.6% body fat. Like I, I'm... Six four. I have nineteen point five pounds of body fat in my entire body. My liver fat's under three percent. Like everything is good, and I I was obese and I weighed three hundred pounds. So something's working. But if I could get like upgraded poop uh, that gave me even more energy, you bet you, you bet I'd sign up for it. So get, give me time, uh, Dr. Davis. I I, th I think I think this will happen whether I do it or someone else does. And if you're listening and you want to start a business, bring some liquid nitrogen and convince someone in the jungle to poop and save all those bacteria because we need them in a bank, just like we have a seed bank uh, in Norway or, or wherever the heck we put it. We need the same thing for a poop bank. It's that important. Uh, I also think there's a business opportunity uh, for people to go out and uh, when you're born, if you save your, your baby's uh, you know, cord blood for stem cells, shouldn't you save your baby's poop? As long as you didn't give your baby antibiotics and put antibiotics in their eyes and all that weird stuff they do in hospitals, um, there's nothing like that initial gut bacteria. So if your baby does have to take antibiotics, you can actually repopulate with what they're supposed to have. This is part of the, the future of medicine. So I'm happy you talked about poop uh, because these are important. <laughs> <laughs> uh, on that note, uh, I have to say uh, thank you for being on Bulletproof Radio, uh, Dr. Davis. Uh, your book, Weed Belly, really woke a lot of people up to this idea that, hey, what I put on my plate matters. Grains do bad things to humans. They're better than starving to death, but not that much better. 
Uh, and yes, they're delicious and crunchy and good, and it doesn't matter because heart attacks are neither delicious nor crunchy or good. <laughs> well said, Dave. <laughs> well said. And thank you for being such a powerful and effective game changer yourself. Uh, I, I, I appreciate it. Uh, I know that I've, I've sent you a copy of Game Changers, and if you like this interview and you like this data-driven focus uh, that we just showed, you'll appreciate the book. So go ahead and order your copy on Amazon or at your local indie bookseller or wherever else you'd like to support uh, because uh, authors like me, uh, it, this this was pro- probably 4,000 hours went into this book uh, and lots of statistical rigor to tell you, hey, here's how to kick more ass at everything you do. I'd love to share it with you. If you if you, this show was worth your time, this book is worth 10 times more than the show. Have an awesome day. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.